Hey guys, and welcome back for Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And Marcus D. And guys, we want to give a big shout out to everybody so far who has checked out the podcast and give us some feedback. It means the world to us, especially our friend Ben, who's been giving us feedback since day one. Yeah, thank you, Ben, for all the contributions you've been giving us. Today, guys, we have a really special treat for you guys. We actually have somebody in the One Candle studio here to actually give us some first-hand accounts of their experiences with the paranormal. And we'd like to welcome to the studio, Ricky Bruckman. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ricky? Well, I am I am the founder and co-founder of Mount Vernon Paranormal, based here in Mount Vernon, Indiana. Prior to that, I was a investigator for the Weird New Jersey magazine that they hired me to go and investigate possible paranormal uh, phenomenon based in New Jersey. And I did that for about 10 years, and then I moved out into this part of the country. So, so how long would you say you've actually been a paranormal investigator? My first paranormal um, investigation is right after I got out of college. I, um, I went to Brookdale Community College, studied paranormal sciences under John Zappis, and I started doing my investigations on my own around 90, 1994, and I'm still doing it today. I gotta know, what was it like working with Weird New Jersey? Weird New Jersey is an experience in itself. The, they were still a new magazine at the time. They just started prior in the 80s, and they didn't have a lot of people to go into certain areas, and the editor, one of the nicest guys I ever got to know, not very supportive when it comes to when you're getting locked up, but other than that, <laughs> you know, he... He is not your one phone call you make. No, you don't call him. He basically, he, he'll tell, he'll deny, deny, deny that he asked you to go out there. And he proved that the one time, which investigation we're going to be talking about is similar to one of the situations where I, well, I went there, got pulled, got yanked, went to jail, spent some time, and came out. Okay, this leads me into another question. How many times have you been locked up for paranormal investigating? Five times. Whoa. <laughs> is it is it fun being in jail as not a paranormal at all. investigator? The, 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 only, the only plus was that some of the even the big guys got a little scared of you when they thought when they heard you were there because you were doing some ghost research. I gotta love that sitting around like, hey, what are you in for? Murder. What are you in for? Armed robbery. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I was looking for ghosts. <laughs> that's that's gotta be. Yeah, they, 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 in, <clears throat> some of the inmates look at you when they I told them that they they back away because the first thing that pops in their mind is the suspicion. So they start thinking, oh, this guy's into demons. This guy cast demons on me or something like that. And they left me alone. Okay, another question on it. They gave me free access to the toilet. <laughs> well, before we get to another question, so, something that I want to throw out there. So for anybody listening to this to think if you actually want to go out and be a paranormal investigator, I always tell anybody who says they want to do it for the first time. Get legal approval first. Yeah, call the cops, the police, wherever you're going to go to make sure that it's okay to be wherever you're going to go. Because a lot of local uh, laws are different. Some places you can be in a cemetery, some places you can't. It just depends on where you are. Okay, so I've been a paranormal investigator basically since I was 14, and I've been on a lot of investigations. And although I've had the cops call before, I've never gotten caught. So are you just taking more risks than me, or are you just really easy to catch? When I'm back, in, back in the 90s, I was a lot younger, so I was a lot more... I wasn't married, didn't have a kid, so I took things a little too risky. I didn't care. I mean, if I had to climb a fence or go up some kind of fire escape, I did it to get into a facility that was like abandoned, you know, and um, take a drive up some road that they block off, don't want you in there. I found a way in. And hell, that's pretty much why I got arrested. Now, I have not been a paranormal investigator for as long as you guys have. A little bit before, I would say, before we started uh, with the YouTube channel here for One Candle Society. But I swear, every time we're about to go on any sort of paranormal investigation, my number one question is, are we going to get arrested where we're going? <laughs> like, is it legal for us to be there? Have that, we checked? That's a good question to ask. No, it's a very good question to ask. But like I said, back in my 20s, I didn't care. 
I, I was like, they said, Ricky, we would like you to go and check out this place. How do you feel about it? I said, sure, I'll do it. They said, well, if you get arrested, we, we're going to deny we know you. I said, that's fine, as long as I get paid. And they sent me out. I went out there to the places, had some experiences, and came back, reported my experiences to the magazine. Thank God I had a girlfriend at the time that did editing because if I if they would have read my own writing, they'd, you know, it would never get published. <laughs> so something that I want to know a little bit before we actually get into what we're talking about today. So you've done you've done blogs, you've done articles and stuff for Weird New Jersey, which was super cool because that was the stuff I was reading prior to you know recording this episode. So I was blown away. Like. Is there is there any difference between say articles back like then versus like writing about like articles right now? Would you say? Well, I'm I've been since we were talking about doing this, I've been looking at some of the new articles I've been written about the places I've been to, and some of the some you can see some of the stuff is more fabricated because I did not experience some of the stuff that they're claiming they experienced. But um, I, I don't I don't I don't know as for the as for the material. All I can tell you is that I was the first one to go out there. I was the first one that we're in New Jersey sent out to go check out those areas. And I was more than happy to do it. Of course, I spent a little time, but, you know, I was happy to do it. I'm, I'm imagining you as like this hard-boiled detective character back then, wearing your trench coat, having your hat pulled down, shaking down marks and stuff. <laughs> no, I wish it was that way. Got your little flip notebook, which you still use now. Yes, I still like do. in our day, like in our day to day activities, which I see, which is super cool. Well, basically, back in those days, I was carrying one of those big brick EMF meters. These things weighed like at least ten pounds, because well, I didn't have half the equipment that I have now, and a lot of old school. I brought out dowsing rods, old cassette recorders to make to do EMF readings. I mean, I mean to do EVP readings. And the EMF block, big block um, recorder itself, it, it was clunky. I mean, batteries always drain on them because they're, they're the big old block batteries. Yeah, but, and your gear kit has come quite a long ways. We've been on a few investigations with Ricky before, and he has one of the nicest sets of equipment that I think I've ever seen. I was like, holy crap, what is all this stuff? Like, coming out of his truck, I mean, it, it was super cool to do. Really, minus the the, pro, the the proton pack, like, it was, like, feeling like actually being Ghostbusters going out looking for stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to play with one of those thermal imaging flare cameras, and I've always wanted to play with one. I've never had a chance to get one in my hands. And then he pulls out not one, but he has multiple of them. I'm like, what the heck's actually, going on here? I love the flare cameras, but my favorite equipment to this day will always be the... Um, now, the SLS camera, because that thing is just amazing. The things, we can actually see apparitions being manifested through this camera. And to me, that's just just amazing. How has the technology level really affected ghost hunting, at least for you over the years? Oh my God, it's a big time. Because back in the day, we were using AM radios to try to do what they do now with the with the using the ghost box radios where they shift through the channels constantly on its own. Back in the day, you were sitting there just turning a knob on a radio real quick and trying to get, trying to get something. Or you bring out, this is going to sound really funny and really stupid, but it's the way we did things back then. You brought out an old fan and turn on the fan with a recorder and you know, plugged it into whatever generator you had and let the fan blow to make sound to hope to get white noise going. It's silly stuff like that you had to do to get things done. No, but I, I, I like some of that stuff from the older days like that you're talking about, like some of that older equipment you talk about, like with analog video recorders or going out and doing that stuff. Because I've gone out on investigations now where you can actually, on your smartphone, download apps that are like, you know, ghost boxes and mm -hmm. stuff to do. And, I, and it always makes me so reserved to wonder whether or not if you're actually picking up anything on the thing or if it's just programmed to, you see, to, to, to I know where you're coming out. from because I question that same thing. There's some reputable apps out there, like Dead Time is considered one of the more reputable apps, the people that do the ITC research, which is a whole new a whole new era area in this re, this kind of field of research. ITC research is it's it's old. 
by the fashion that it's looking at EVPs to see possible entities, but we're talking to trying to communicate with something in real time. And some of the stuff out there that I've seen on like Google apps or Apple apps or whatever, and the, the, they don't, it, it makes you question, are they actually putting something in there just to give you that chance they hear it, almost that charlatan feeling. Sort of like some some um, so-called psychics, they go out there making claims that they, making claims that they are communicating with, with the dead. But they're using trigger, they're using basic psycho psychology, using trigger words to get a response from someone, to get them to come back and say, okay, uh, I see someone with a C. Do you know someone with a C in their name? You know? Well, like cold readings and techniques like that. And it's the same. I think sometimes when they use some of the apps that they're out coming out there, they're using the same basic aspect by putting it. They put a phonetic generator, but actually putting in words. Now, Dead Time. The reason I like the Dead Time app because I know the people who created it, and I know what they put in the the photonic generator. They put in just alphabet and letters. They don't get no names, no words. It's just alphabet letter and full gibberish. So uh, I would definitely call you a, a veteran paranormal investigator. So say... I appreciate that. Someone... Better than call me old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so someone listening to this podcast for the first time that may be wanting to go out and get started being a paranormal investigator, like having to get some of the basic gear, what would be the most simple gear that you would recommend somebody to have to go out to be a paranormal investigator? Like I maybe tell, go on their first one. Okay, I tell people... When I when I do an investigation in a home, I usually give somebody a little bit of homework. I tell them, listen, before I get there, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take some kind of audio recording device that you have. It could be an old cassette recorder with a microphone. Set it up somewhere. Press, rec press record and walk away. And just let it record. Just the basic idea of this is just to see if there's anything that comes up. Something that, now we all know that... You're going to get background noise. You're going to get people talking or whatever in the background. You know, normally, just stuff that you could normally debunk. But I'm looking for something that's out of the ordinary. Something at a different wavelength than the kind of wavelength we're having here right now. You know, I tell people, take some pictures. And when you take pictures, take them in sections of three. Consecutive pictures of three. In a row, like really quick, like one, two, three, the same shot. It sounds silly. It sounds stupid. But I'm looking for any kind of deviation in the pictures to see if there's anything coming up that we did not normally pick up on them just taking one picture. Well, Ricky, I think we could probably shoot questions at you about this sort of stuff all day. But let's, let's get into what we're, what we're wanting to talk to you about. Okay. Shades of Death Road. Now, when we were we were originally talking to you about what you should come on and talk about, you pitched this to us, and we started our research, and we didn't realize a lot of the articles we were reading on it from like Weird New Jersey and stuff were actually written by you. <laughs> I went by I went by a, a pen name because I we can understand that. Yeah, you know, I really didn't <laughs> want it. Well, at the time, you know, I was working full time in EMS, and people. In the EMS scene, they see that this coming up, and they're like, "Wait a minute, this is the guy that wrote that in the ambulance." And you start to lose. You get you get odd questions when you're driving the ambulance. It's like it's like working in a mental hospital, and the patients know who you are, and, and then they come up and they start asking you all kinds of crazy questions. And now you have to sit there and try to answer, and, and without the doctors and one around, you're thinking that you're nuts. You know, it's <laughs> it's just you know, it's the reason why I went with a pen name. So we pretty much have like one of the first, would you call yourself the first investigator on I this would, or one of the first? I, I, there, I am one of the first investigators that went out there. I'm one of the, they've had other people go out there and make reports to these guys when, on, to the, we're in New Jersey. About, about what time did you actually, like about what year were you going out? Uh, September, mid-October, it was early fall before it really got cold. About what year? So like we have like a time okay, frame of what we're right. talking about. Uh, 1994. Oh, we were so oh, young, yeah. Vic. Oh, yeah. oh man, we were watching the X Men animated series back then. <laughs> what are you talking about? I still watch the X Men animated series. <laughs> I that know. is great. I <laughs> watched the X Men. Animated Thank series. you, Disney Plus. Also, hashtag not sponsored, but should be. <laughs> okay, why don't you tell us a little bit about Shades of Death Road? I know a lot of people know about it, but I don't think everyone does. Like, where's it at? 
Right now, it's in the Alamoochee Mountain area of Warren County, New Jersey. Um, Alamoochee itself is all is named from the, the Indian tribes that were settled in that area. Um, it's just outside Jenny Jump State Forest. You know, Jen, that's a funny thing. The Jenny Jump. The reason they call it Jenny Jump is because the lake, the girl that supposedly jumps into the lake, which is really is actually called Lake Apacon. Uh, but they had several other names after the years. It was called like a Pacon, Crystal Lake, uh, Ghost Lake. It's had multiple different names. And Jenny was supposed to be a colonist during the 1700s that something happened between her and her, I guess, her boyfriend. I can't remember in total detail, but she ended up jumping into the lake and drowning. And I actually remember this one because I just recently researched it. It was a father and his daughter were out there. They were approached by um, a native person. They felt threatened by them. Um, the father told her his daughter, Jenny, to uh, jump, hoping that she could escape and survive, but just did not survive the fall. And that's why it's called Jenny Jump uh, like uh, Park or whatever it is. Yeah, it's Reserve. Jenny Jump State Forest. There, there we go. But, but like I said, I've heard multiple stories. That's one of the stories I heard on that. Mm -hmm. The story of the, the love interest and there's other stories that brew from it. It's a whole, no one has the actual definitive fact on what took place over there. Only thing we know is that some girl named Jenny jumped in the lake. And, and when I was researching this, and I'm researching Shades of Death Road, a lot of those haunted places that you know of, you know, you just have like the one story, that's what caused it to be haunted. Like everybody oh, kind of agrees no. or doesn't deviate. Literally, like it's just from the, t like, from when the area is first settled, all throughout its history, there is just story after story after story of what's causing this place to be haunted. Jenny, um, Shades of Death Road wasn't originally called Shades of Death Road back when it was when the settlers first settled there. Now, mind you, before the settlers settled there, they did some. They they literally slaughtered the Alamuchi tribes that were settled in that area. That's when they start building. Now. Prior to Revolutionary War times, and New Jersey has a lot of early colonial history, and a lot of the colonies were separated from the big towns. So you, you, if you wanted to go from one colony all the way out to another part of the colony, you end up traveling at least a couple hours, six to seven hours, by foot or by horseback, just to get to someplace what we would call today civilization. But um, so they have all kinds of wild stories that took place. But in that area alone, um, from the colonial times, the slaughtering of the, of the Indians, um, the malaria outbreak, you know, it just, death just seems to hover in that area. And it definitely took root in the names of this place. Like there's, like we said, the Ginny Jump State Park. The road is actually that's not the name of Shades of Death Road. That's not a nickname. That's the official name. That the nearby is the lake name. is often called Ghost Lake. It just seems everything in this area is just extremely foreboding. I mean, you you look at the history. Like I said, you had the, there was multiple car wrecks, people that died on that road. You had the murders of uh, Camp Crystal Lake, which is a real thing, folks. It's not no joke. Everyone talks about Camp Crystal Lake, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th is based on the true story that took place at Camp Crystal Lake. And that's not far from Shades of Death Road. So what are, what are some of the common paranormal phenomenon that's reported with Shades of Death Road that you are familiar with? The common phenomenon is, is ghost activity. The ghost of Jenny seems to hover above the lake. People have reported that the ghost literally walks on the water. You can see the spirit walking on the water. Um, personally, I've never experienced that. I, I spent multiple times up on that, doing that investigation up there. Um, you see a lot of fog because the fog comes off the lake. And it has a very eerie feeling to it and multiple cold spots. And we're talking about in the midst of the summer. I went back one time in the summer and to do a follow-up and multiple cold spots. I'm talking temperature drop from going from 75 or 80 degrees dropping down into the 40s. That's significant temperature drop. 
So one of the things when I was reading through the history of this I really wanted to know is there's a lot of speculation that um, this was back before automobiles, highwaymen were a big problem, and apparently the ones in this area would just murder people and take whatever yes. they could get. Now, there's this story that the um, nearby townspeople went in and would just start rounding them up, and they would just string these people up and leave their bodies hanging in the trees around Shades of Death Road. Yes. Do you know if, the, do you know if there's any truth to That's, those rumors? That is not, that has been followed as fact. Oh, wow. That is not a rumor. That's fact. Because you look at all the colonies in the area, there's a lot of little stories like that popping up. I mean, over there with the, with the highwaymen that was out there in those woods, people in that town area. Because you got to remember, these people have dealt with a lot of sorrow that live in that, that lived in that village area where Shades of Death Road is. And after multiple robberies, and they had enough. They, the report, the actual report was about 42 men strung up in the trees, hanging, and some of them, I hate to say it, most of them were black, because but you're also dealing with a lot of prejudice back then in, the, in those areas. So if you did not look like you belonged, you, it happens. Oh, I'm wow. not. It's not. It's not a proud part of Jersey's history. But there's multiple places in Jersey where you have that kind of outcome. Something that I was finding while I'm researching it was a lot of the locals like today are not super excited about its um, fame for being a paranormal hotspot and have been prone to like trying to deter people away. Was it ex your experience or were you finding that? Like when you were investigating it in the early 90s when you first started going out there? I got arrested, remember? <laughs> oh, that was, that was connected for this I, one. I got arrested. The first time I went out there in the, in the fall, I got arrested. Oh, okay. I spent uh, six hours in the jail because they said that I was being disruptive in the neighborhood because people who still live on that road, yes, there's people that live there, do not take kind to people walking around that they don't recognize. To this day, people are still like that. I've heard reports from, I have a team that works in New Jersey. And this goes out to Sessy. Sessy, love you. Always going, always going to. Um, that work out there in Jersey that do this paranormal research, and they they they've not been arrested, but they have come across some hostility for going out into those areas. So it's people. It's like any other thing else. You don't trust people in your neighborhood. You don't know these people. They're coming out there. They're going to get all uppity uppity and want you out. What about, uh, I know there's some reports of people claiming to see uh, people moving around in that area, committing occultic activities, wearing hoods and cloaks and things like that. I, I've heard the same thing, but I've never come across any such. What's your gut on it since you've actually been there? Do you think it's just urban legend or not sure? Let me put it this way. There's some urban legend, I believe, strongly up there in Shades of Death Road. Yes, I believe the urban legends, are, are, they bring good stories. Good night ghost stories going through this, going through the road, but there were just some basic. I, I, from my research, have found some basic fact and proof of paranormal activity on that road. So, I want, I want to get into that. I want, to, I want to get into you know your actual time. How many times would you say that you actually went out there? I've been out there five times on Shades of Death Road. From the span of what time? Like we're say? going from the first time I started out there was in the fall of 1994. Okay. I was back out there in the winter months of 94. I went back in the spring, early late spring, no late spring of 95. I spent more time out there in the summer of 95. The reason my the reason I waited to do this, split it up like this, because I wanted to see if there's any change to the environment that may spark more possible activity. My first experience out there in 94 and around the late fall, I didn't see anything anything out of the ordinary. I saw the fog in the lakes. I've heard some sounds, but you can't, you know, it mostly could be debunked as animal sounds or people in their farmlands. I could not clarify if anything was anything literally significant. Now, I, I like, can, what, like what kind of sounds would you say? You hear voices in the background talking a long distance. You hear dogs barking. You know, you hear something that sounds more like animals. You know, it's stuff that just can't be clarified in the dark with just one little flashlight and a tape recorder. So. 
So how did the activity develop over uh, later visits? My last visit's the one that really freaked me out. I mean, we were the one thing we were looking for was the murder house that's out there on that was there in Shades of Death Road. Uh, the house, the murder took place back in the '40s. Apparently, a mother who lost her child at a summer camp. Um, she was upset with the camp when her son was lost. The son drowned in Lake Apacon. So she decided to go to that summer camp and start kidnapping children for summer for like three or four summers. And when she kidnapped the children, she would kill them in her house. Treat them, she was abusive the way they understand, but she would kill them literally inside her house. And, and this became the inspiration for the Friday the 13th movie, this right? This became the inspiration, one of the inspirations for Friday the 13th movie. Because everyone thinks, oh, you're going to tell me there really was a Jason? No, there wasn't really a Jason. Um, the mother being the abusive one, true. Did she kill him at the camp? No. She just kidnapped the kids at the camp. The kids end up missing. And they find the kids, and they found the kids literally buried into that property where she would kill the kids. And it's no, the legend is that she would play the pipe organ that she had in her house with the kid tied on, on the, the bench, on the organ bench, while she would play the pipe organ with him. And what I mean by pipe organ, I mean pump organ. Let me rephrase that. Old pump organs. Back in the day, you had to sit there and pump air into them by foot to make them play. That's what she was doing. So you actually went out and saw the house. What was left of the house. What's left of the house. This is back in, like I said, this was in 90, this is in, like I said, late 94, early 95. It was early 95 when I went out there in the summer months. So what all was left of the house when you were out The house there? is pretty much wrecked. It was, the, no roof, the roof was caved in. But the mailbox and the property was still intact. But the house itself on the property was pretty much wrecked. It was, I took some pictures of it, and I sent it to Weird New Jersey in that time when I first went out there. And you saw part of the inside of the house. You saw the organ sitting there. The organ was still somewhat intact. You know, and that's, and that's something that's really weird to me because you're telling me that the mailbox was there. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I was researching about, like um, Shades of Death Road, was that a lot of the locals had gotten to like starting to grease up the pole to keep people from yeah. stealing the mm -hmm. shade of death road sign. So you're telling me like back then that the, the mailbox is still there. And I'm just thinking if I'm, if I'm like a paranormal, I don't know, treasure hunter, like vandal person that's trying to get like a memento, I'd be that mailbox seemed like that would be like at the top of the list. Well, you gotta remember this is like in the early nineties, early nineties, not paranormal research wasn't as popular as it is today. I mean, you got shunned on, laughed at. People made fun of you when they heard about you doing something in the paranormal. I mean, people like, you look at the Warrens up in Connecticut before God rest their souls. Um, Lorraine Warren was a wonderful woman. I, I never personally met her, but I've heard stories from people who met her. My, my old mentor himself said some wonderful things about her. But anyway, they were, this was not the norm. You know, you're doing research in the paranormal, you got literally... Back in those days, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, people looked at you like you were some kind of freak. You know, you're, you're dabbing into something that's not godly. You know, God forbid you're going to go into, you're going to hell because you're touching into something that's not of God. The Bible states you cannot do this. And it's, it, it was very much frowned upon back in, the, and even in the mid, early and mid 90s, it was frowned upon. You know, it was just starting to come into its own in the 90s with stories like what happened out of Amityville and what happened out of um, the, out of Connecticut. So, so I want to go back to your, your experience out there. You said the last time that you went out there, like your fifth time you're going mm -hmm. out there. So who, how many people were you going out there with? Just myself and my cousin. My cousin okay. Eddie was my partner and when we did the research. And we went out there. We went out there earlier in the day, just to do some basically scouting again to see what, what make sure there's no problem. I made a difference here. I called the police. Let them know I was going to be out in the area, you know. And the cops were like, "Well, okay. If you have, well, if we know if you're out there, we're okay with it." So, which was surprised me because that made me happy because I didn't want to go to jail again. But anyway, we went out there and went on the property. You know, we. Saw the mailbox was intact. Like like I said, it was a rusty old mailbox. It was still intact. 
um, walking on the property, took some pictures inside the house again, tried to do some readings. And at the first, in the beginning, I was getting pretty much nothing. Uh, the EMF meter wasn't really showing any detections. No, my I had a crude thermometer that I used. And the, what I mean by crude is that I had to hold, one hand had to hold the sensor and the cord went to the, went to the readout. And I had to stick my arm out with the sensor to, to, to get readings, just to, just to get anything. Well, we were getting ready to pack it up. We're like, you know what the hell, this is, no, this is no, there's nothing going on out here. Let's just go. We're getting ready to pack it up and my cousin tells me that he's getting something on the, the thermometer. He's like, Ricky, I'm getting some temperature change. And I said, well, and then I looked and it started dropping significantly. We went from, if I remember properly, it was like 76, 77 degrees that night. It was pretty warm, you know, humid. You could, you know, but when we were watching that temperature drop down into the 40s, that, that was, that's like a significant drop. And I was like, um, I started trying to communicate. I started trying to see if I could get someone to answer us. I started, you know, I said, is somebody here? Can somebody talk to me? Um, is this the, the go I, I, I couldn't remember. I, I cannot remember the, the mother's name for the life of me on the property. I was like, can somebody talk to us? If, you, if, you got, if you're here, show me something. Talk to me. All right? Don't be a coward. That's the word I use. Don't be a coward. And within... The creepiest thing we ever saw, that that mailbox bursted in flames. Like what? Whoosh! Burst into flames. Bursted in flames. I mean, we saw that thing just engulf. Oh and, my god! And I looked over at Eddie, and it scared. I'm gonna be. I'm not gonna lie. Excuse the language, but it scared the living shit out of us. And well, yeah, like a mailbox burst into flames <laughs> in front of you, and you're like, "Don't I be mean, a coward!" Boosh. It burst it right in flames in front of us, and I, I was, we, our eyes just lit up. Yeah. I left a, I left an old tripod with a camera sitting there, all right. And it was not not like the digital cameras we have now. This was one of those old VHS cameras that I was using to record stuff. But I left the camera. I left the tripod there. We hopped in his van and booked out of there. Wait, was the camera on? I don't know. At that point, I don't even know. And I was like, "Were you close enough? Like when it when it lit? Did you feel like the heat from the yes. flame?" Yes, yes. Oh. We were like, we, we the van was parked within say maybe maybe two maybe two and a half feet from the mailbox. Would you say and that we were would... walking right towards them? And when the thing bursted, we were like, "Was it like an explosion? Did it just engulf? Did it? What would it you say? Like just engulf? You didn't hear no pop, no explosion because you know." You, so if someone of, said if somebody said something inside that mailbox, you would hear like like a little bit of a pop coming from the inside. But there was nothing. It just like a gas lit. like a gas stove getting lit. It looked like yeah, exactly. It looked like someone turned a knob and the thing just went up on fire. Wow! Did it look like normal fire? Did yes, it, it was. It, the orange, the white, the red colors coming out. It it was burning. Like including like the actual mailbox part, like the top part, or just it was the whole mailbox was. Engulfed in flames. And that's really, I mean, that's weird for like metal to engulf. To engulf like, it blew us away because we, we, here's the odd part. We left that area. Now, mind you, Shades of Death Road is up on, up in the thin, the Alamoochee Mountains. So you're driving on mountain roads to get up there. We drove down from that road. And it was now, mind you, when this happened, it was about 3 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay, it was still dark. When we got down to the bottom of the mountain, it was light and was not. It was just starting to come up, and we stayed inside of a Dunkin' Donuts, totally amazed, drinking coffee, trying to figure out what the hell did we just experience. Did you ever go back? We went right back once the daylight came in. We said we gotta go. I said we gotta go back. We gotta get our equipment. We went back up there, and here's the part that I cannot explain. And I report when I reported this to we're in New Jersey, they they, they 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 looked at me like I had two heads on on this one. But so when we went back, that mailbox was intact. Didn't even look like it burnt. Didn't like even look. No, absolutely no signs of damage. No, no sign. Nothing. Nothing. I, I it just, it was a rusted old mailbox. And it looked like there was no, look, it didn't look like there was no fire or anything. But I know I wasn't seeing things. Did, did you touch it? Yes. Was it cold to the touch? It was cold. Huh. 
What what about the camera? You said you left a camera behind. Did you did, did you end up getting like any evidence on it? Apparently something happened when the camera was recording, it apparently stopped recording just prior to the thing bursting in flames. It, like something drained the battery. Oh. I was kind of hoping you could like give us some surprise footage or something. I wish to God I had the surprise footage. I mean, a lot of the stuff was in those big VHS. Actually, it was a Betamax tape that shows shows my age. You know, I couldn't afford to buy a VHS one back then, so I bought a Betamax. You know, I know what the hell's a Betamax, right? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people always talk about like you know people always, you know, you know. Did this really happen? Did it not? But like, electronic, uh, dr- you know, battery drain phenomenon is a is a huge thing, and a lot of people's paranormal stories. Yes. Whenever something big actually happens to them, it it, it does. I mean, I've had several occasions, not just on Shades of Death Road, but other investigations where I had significant battery drain. Yeah, just think about like what happens when you're you're commonly at a ghost encounter. The air goes cold. That means mm-hmm. something has to be pulling the heat away mm-hmm. from it or bringing in cold from another area. Mm-hmm. If they are pulling heat, that means they're effectively pulling energy, and that can also I, I don't know why it couldn't also just pull from a battery. If not, also batteries run down faster in the cold. It wasn't cold at this time. This night, it was 70-something degrees out at the night. Oh, I'm assuming the ghost is floating around there making everything cold after you left. <laughs> oh. all, I can say, all I can tell you is that the, the significant temperature drop was different from one point, from one point at the, on the location to where the mailbox was. Um, what did your cousin say about it? Like, What was the, what was the experience like for him? <laughs> My cousin refused to ever go on any more investigations with me after that. <laughs> He made it perfectly clear. He says, Ricky, no more. I'm done. This is it. I'm done. So that was just the end of his career with That the was the end of his career in paranormal. He's, I had to go out and find a new partner. I mean, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, we're talking about, you know, you go out to something like that and you see a something burst into flames, like some biblical burning bush, but in reverse fashion, like... You should have came and looked us up and hung out with grade school, you know, Vic and Marcus. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> Getting pushed in a trash can and getting their lunch money stolen. Like now, me, anyway. Now, mind you, we had one other experience on Shades of Death Road, but um, it, was, it, it was a whole different aspect. Because there's, not far from Shades of Death Road, there's a old abandoned military base that has a bridge that crosses over Lake Apacon. And... We had an experience out near there that when we were out there on that bridge that we looked like the, and I reported it to, we're in New Jersey, I reported it to them, is the fact that when we were on the bridge, it looked like something was coming across the horizon really bright. Now, this goes into more of UFO phenomenon, but I couldn't clarify if it was a UFO or or something paranormal. All I know is it was coming really bright and we got the hell out of there. I know when, like, I was reading through different uh, encounters people have had out there, some people have reported seeing, like, a ghost light floating around out there. Yes, like I said, there's reports of Jenny supposedly floating over the river. There's reports of, um, you can, there's reports that you can hear Indian tribal music out there on certain nights when the fog is really thick. And let me tell you something, the fog out there gets thick often. Oh, yeah. So... I think that's actually why Ghost Lake got its name because it just generates all these ghost-like wisps of fog. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty strong. Now that is a huge lake. A lot of people don't realize how big that lake is. I mean, it goes into other areas called Spruce Run, another area called Round Valley. All comes around towards towards Lake Apacon. Have you met anybody else out there, or have you heard of anybody else having? A similar encounter, like with the mailbox bursting into flames out there. Not a mailbox, but I've had I've heard of someone having an encounter at the house where they actually heard the organ actually start playing. Whoa! And that came from I I was doing a I was doing a convention up in Jersey where they did a paranormal. It was a paranormal convention up in Jersey, and I was on one of the people on the panel, and somebody from came to the panel and started talking to me about their experience on Shades of Death Road where they went to the actual house and saw the organ, but they saw when they saw the organ, they said they heard what sounded like organ music being played. So they believed that there was the organ itself being played. But have Which, you ever heard of any organ music when you've been out there? No. No. 
wonder if the order of music was I wonder if it was good. <laughs> I don't know. I do, I'm just like I just think weird stuff like this. The first thing that comes to my head, people say like, oh, "I hear this weird creepy organ music." I'm like, "Was it in tune? Like, was it good? Like, or did it just sound like somebody didn't know what they were doing?" Have you ever heard the sound that comes from a pump organ? Huh? No. Yeah, I have. Yeah, it, it's I have. Yes. Really eerie sound because if you hear the air pressure as you're pumping up and down that pedal and you're trying to play the keys, you can hear the air pressure going up and down in the thing, and it's, it has a really odd. Re- definitive sound you know the only reason i know what it sounds like is well i went to a church where they did this thing called old-fashioned sunday where the guy brought in an old pump organ and started playing the pump organ and it sounded like something out of a bad horror movie when i first heard it was this your most shocking paranormal experience i know you've had a long career my most shocking paranormal experience was was over in jockey hollow which is a bit uh, distance away it's closer to morristown and Jockey Hollow is an old British bastion where they used to be, and you had the British and the Americans encampment there during the Revolutionary War. And the history at Jockey Hollow, it's pretty grim. And would you like me to go into it or you? Let's let's say this for another episode because okay, I, I yeah, feel yeah. like we're bringing you back on for a for yeah, like me on the next one, we'll do Jockey Hollow. This, right. is, this is some interesting stuff because I want to make sure that we get back because this is. In, in, in my times of interviewing people, I've never had somebody tell me an experience where they've watched something literally just burst into flames. How do you come back from an experience like that? Like you as a paranormal investor, uh, like how, how, do you, personally, me, how do you cope with that? It, I did not go back out in the field for at least three months. I, did, I, could, I, could, I was trying to understand what I experienced. I mean... One of the hardest things as a paranormal investigator is when you first come across something that actually is legitimate, it takes a while to come to the acceptance that I'm like, okay, I did experience this. I'm not going crazy. You know, because um, the first thing that comes in your mind after you see it, like, wait a minute, my, did I really see this? You start questioning your own sanity. You know, and as a paranormal investigator, you know, Multiple times when you come across things, because my I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I go out there to debunk things. I've been to people's residences where I that's what I do. I go in there to debunk it, to prove what because a lot of people think that what that which is paranormal and actually could be something that's really just normal. It's something that's just they're not thinking about. How do you debunk a mailbox bursting into flames? <laughs> Honestly, I, I couldn't think of anything. I, I looked at it. I op- I, when I went back, I opened the mailbox up, looked inside. Maybe I thought maybe someone put a firecracker or something I didn't hear or something. And I didn't hear no pop or anything, but there was nothing. But, like, I like, and I understood the concept of like what, how backdrafts work, like, in rooms where, like, it'll suck all that oxygen. Mm-hmm. And then, like, once it gets exposed to it, then it just bursts into flames. But this is, this is outside. This is metal itself without any sort of accelerant just catching fire immediately. I took it one step further. I had... At the time, in the 90s, I was also, I was working with a volunteer first aid squad, okay, which was related with the volunteer fire department. I took a volunteer fireman with me, someone that knows about backdraft and flames and like that, because that wasn't my forte. I, I want them to take a look and tell me, does this look like it was on, was on fire? And he looked at me like I had two heads. He says, Ricky, this thing, this, this thing was never on fire. This thing's almost, this thing is just old. And I told him, I said, dude, this thing lit up. It lit up like a candle. And, and it's almost even weirder to me, like, because when you went back out there, you said that it was, like, the, like it was perfectly intact. And, like, other paranormal phenomenon involving, like, fire, like, it just, it was just a little fire just burning something to the ground. It makes me, like, wonder if it was real fire. Or, or like, was... oh, yeah, that's actually thinking that, too, if it's something, like, it made you see. All I know is it, I felt heat coming off of it. It looked like fire. Smelt like fire. To me, it was fire. So do you think it was um, the ghost of the lady from the Camp Crystal Lake story? I don't know. I don't, the, the, there's, his, there's reports that she roams in that property. Now, I do know the house is no longer there. They, I don't even know if there's a new house there now in its place, but the house that was there is no longer around. They, apparently, they, they tore it down back in the early 2000s. So, as for if there's any 
residual experiences going on out there now? I, I really don't know. I haven't been out in that part of the state, like I said, since the mid-90s. What do you think is the source of all the high strangeness that occurs out there? Jersey, I'm going to straight up, Jersey's one screwed up state. Okay. <laughs> I'll just put it that way because there's a lot of history, a lot of dark history in Jersey, you know, that you you find out as you go. It has a lot of legends. I mean, you look, the history of Jersey, let's put it this way. We got everything going from witch burnings in Jersey to KKK hangings. Jersey is that screwed up. Ricky's been trying to get us for a while to take a trip with him uh, to New Jersey and just kind of investigate around there with him. And I, I really think that this would be a great yeah, place to go visit I'm, in person. I'm very tempted. There's a lot of places out there that I'm very interested in, in checking out. But something definitely that I want from like from the viewers, if you guys have any comments about what thoughts about what you think could cause like that mailbox to burst into flames, leave it in the comments below. I definitely want to get your guys' input on what you guys think that that was. I mean, I wish to God I could say that, like I said, I brought a fireman out there. I thought a fireman might be able to give me some more insight because it was, it was so out of the ordinary. It was the one of the most blatant, in-your-face experiences I ever dealt with in paranormal. Now, mind you, at this point, I've only been researching paranormal for less than a year, almost a year at that point. I mean, my first paranormal encounter was in 93. And it made me go study to want to understand what all this was. And I worked with a group in, that we started up in Jersey called uh, uh, North Jersey Paranormal Researcher Organization. That's what I was part of that. And it was like five of us that worked in either EMS or, you know, security that were interested in this stuff. And that's how I got, I started working with those guys. And then I broke away and then started doing it on my own. You know, it's it's like you're talking to us about like that. You had that, you know, really, I would I would call it a violent encounter, like with yeah. something with the paranormal out there, and then you don't go back out for three months, and it's almost something that makes you want to never do it again. But then it, it, it's that kind of a thing that just makes you want to, you know, dig deeper. And that's pretty to much learn what more. I did. after I my the three months I I spent was basically trying to research the area more and more in detail. I wanted to know more and more of the history. And at the time, finding that kind of history was hard to come by. Thank God with the invention of the internet and everything going on now, it's so much easier to, to gain access to this material. But back then, it was a lot of hard walking around, going to libraries, hope to God the city hall gives you assets. Yeah. Yeah, but there's something really cool about that kind of hard, hard, uh, hardcore, like boots on the ground sort of work. Mm -hmm. It just feels differently, like, you know, researching something on a computer versus being there in the field. It has just a different feel. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'll go out in the field anytime you ask me. Of course, nowadays, I do it more in a legal way because I have a wife and kid at home and I don't want to go to jail. And you so, constantly <laughs> have me going, is this legal? Are we going to jail? I am not making my one phone call. <laughs> Being like, I'm in jail. Somebody come get me. Like, Ladies and gentlemen, just to let you know, I've been trying to get him to go with me to Stoll's uh, Kansas for a while and that's exactly what he says to me every time is it legal can we are we going to go to jail and <laughs> several people talk about ending up in jail overnight just for just for note I'm in I'm in I mean I'm probably going to do it I just want to know um but okay but I want to but I want to know something here so you've you've seen the stuff out there that's that's that people know about shades of death row that's that's out there when you just research all that surface stuff mm-hmm is there anything about Shades of Death Road that you think our listeners should know that they wouldn't easily find online? I would tell anybody that goes out there, and if anybody from Jersey's listening to this show, I um, hope they are. Yeah, I, I tell anybody, you number one, if you're going to go out there, use precaution because there's people out there that are not very happy about people coming out there. Um, I've, I've read online that there's some people that go out there nowadays and have had trouble. Um, oh, keep an open mind. That's what I would tell people because you don't know what you're going to come across. And now as for something out there that you know, it's not reported, you never know. You're going to hear different sounds out there. You're not, you, you're going to come across stuff and shades of death road. It, it lives up to its name. 
I know there are going to be people out there that's going to be poking holes and not wanting to believe or just saying you're making this story up. Of what course. would you like to tell what would you like to say to people who are of that opinion? I wish to God I was making up stories. I wish to God I could say, Well, here I'm gonna tell you a ghost story today. I've seen it. I know what I've seen. And there's people out there to this day that don't believe it. People are gonna say they say, Ricky, you were so full of it. You're not, you never experienced anything. Okay, whatever you want to say. I can't, I cannot, I cannot make people believe what I've seen or what I've dealt with. Okay? Um, all I could do is report it. Now, back in those days, obtaining evidence, I've had it. I had multiple evidences on several accounts. Of course, nowadays, the equipment I used back then is antiquated. And it's hard to get modern equipment that you could take to re, to break to get the material out of the old equipment. We're talking old three and a quarter floppy disk drives, five and a quarter floppy disk drives. I'm talking about the old, old equipment. Stuff that nowadays people look at like you can't keep you couldn't keep you couldn't run a, a vacuum cleaner on some of the equipment that we have back then. Yeah, I remember you telling me that you could give me a copy of the original of the article but you'd need a way to get it off like one of the old floppies. And I'm like, I don't have a way to do that. Oh my gosh, I remember those. Yeah. I, I remember I, buying those at bookstores. I mean, I still, my cousin still has. I my, really thought that was an animal for a minute. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was his phone vibrating. I was, like, yeah. I was like, oh crap, what got in here? Yeah. Oh, I God. thought I turned it off. I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, my cousin still has some of the, some of the material from our research from back then, and he says the same thing to me. He goes, "I wish to God we can open some of the stuff and rehash and look at it." But I know there's equipment. I know there's stuff out there you can buy online. I've seen it, but like most things, money is not that easy to come by. So you do what you gotta do. But that's but that's why I love having these one on one or sorry two on one conversations. I forgot. I literally was like. Pushed Vic out of the photo. But I'm, I'm over <laughs> here. I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. It's hard to miss him. He's that huge. Um, but that's why I love having those personal conversations with people. Because they're often the stories that you don't hear about. You know, all the stories that I that I read and that I saw about Shades of Death Road, I didn't hear a single story about something bursting into flames in front of people. And that's... You know, that's why this is so cool to, to have you in the studio and talking to you about this, because those are the stories that, that we want to hear, those stories that don't end up on, you know, the Internet. Well, the, like I said, Mac, when I first uh, sent, submitted that story back to We're in New Jersey, yeah, I, I, know, he, I know it was aired because I had a cop. I, I think I still do have a copy of the magazine where I talk about the flame bursting in front of us. Yeah, and... It, Mostly, if you do any archives on old Weird New Jersey articles, you're going to find me in there. Most of those early stories in the early 90s are all done by me. So. so, I mean, we've been going on for almost about, I think about, I think about 40 minutes so far we've been talking about it. What, like, what are your thoughts on Shades of Death Road? I mean, you've been there, you've lived it. You've seen it. What What do you think? I believe it is a highly active area in New Jersey. I believe there is some activity there. As for how detailed, as of now, since I haven't been back there in years, I would love to go back. I want to go with you. Same. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait. I, is it legal to go out there now? I would have to contact the police and let them know we're going to be out there. Okay. I will probably be there then. <laughs> The good thing is that I have sort of a reputation now up in Jersey. Several of the places after years of doing investigations up there, some, a, lot of, a lot of the local PD forces know me. <laughs> so, Actually, I've actually had some cops even come to my um, discussions at conventions that recognized me from when they arrested me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be a fun but awkward conversation there. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's like, hey, you're in the back of my squad car. You were real nice, though. <laughs> didn't give me didn't give me troubles. I wish I could arrest more paranormal investigators <laughs> like that. It's pretty funny when you Why, think about it. Lines up, lines up my day a little bit. I remember one time the cop made sure he stopped. He, the same cop arrested me twice. 
and doing different investigations up in the area. I was going. It's funny because he got me at the Poliskill Viaduct, and the second time, and he goes, "You again?" And he goes, "All right." He was taking me in. He goes, "You want McDonald's?" So I said, "Yes, please." So he stopped and picked me up some McDonald's. Could, he knew I was going to probably be there for a while. Could you imagine back in the day being a police officer, having to log the equipment or the property oh. of a paranormal investigator? Like one uh, audio recorder, one video recorder, one silver cross, <laughs> bottle of salt. Weird herbs. <laughs> Actually, it was more like this is what it was more like one big block EMF meter, one um, bottle of baby powder. <laughs> All right, one broken, I could hear the cops saying, one broken coat hanger. You know, that was my dousing rod. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I was, I was wondering that. All right, and a couple. Walkmans. I know what's a Walkman, right? I know what a Walkman. All right. Okay, first off, I was. <laughs> we are still old enough, Ricky, to know about the the portable CD players. Okay, that was okay. what our generation had. Okay. Well, I had a couple of Walkmans, a little audio, little cassette recorders, and and carrying the big. The biggest thing was that big Betamax VHS recorder, video recorder. That thing looked like something out of a newsroom. That's how big it was. I know you're in like, he, folks, he's getting ready to laugh right now. You can see it. If you see what I'm saying, they're both getting ready to laugh. No, I know. I mean, dude, I can. I remember those big, giant video recorders that would sit on your shoulder. Yeah. I, I remember my mom and dad. I remember my mom and dad having one of those recording me. So I can't, I can't that, imagine having one of those that people. I'm old enough to be his dad. Isn't that great? And it, Go ahead. So, okay, so uh, this was super cool. Thank you so much, by the way, for being, uh, for coming into the studio today. Uh, don't go away, folks, because we still got some uh, some uh, later stuff in order to talk to, to Rick about our conversations, not over. Wait, is it time for some pillow talk? Let's get in there, but absolutely. But if you guys have any personal stories in the paranormal that you guys want to know, reach out to us on social media and let us know so maybe we can actually have you on the podcast. We're always looking for stories like that. Uh, and uh, people, if you're listening, people that are listening, um, you can find us at, on Weebly.com, uh, Mount Vernon Paranormal Society. Um, also, you can look at uh, my uh, partner at um, Two Girls and a Ghost on Weebly. Also, and if you need any need me for any kind of research, you want me to look into your ghost problem. As long as it's no squirrels, I'll be more than happy to come out. Yeah, well, uh, in the definitely the description uh, below on the on the YouTube video uh, of this, and uh, and and probably we're, we're going to put the uh, the links to to so if you want to get in contact with here, see some of the other work uh, that he's done, including the video that he did on our your YouTube channel with us about uh, the mysterious trumpet sounds. We're going to put all that definitely on there as much as we can. But we're going to be keeping this conversation going with Ricky as we go into our extended segment. Marcus, you want to tell them what we're, what we're talking about for it? I think today we're going to get into one of the uh, really interesting people in the paranormal that Ricky's had some personal experience with, uh, the famous demonologist Father Long. Is that right? Yeah, Bishop James Long. It's one oh, of the Bishop nine... James Long. He's well, one the of Pope's the... going to be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> I, got the, I, got the, I got the title wrong. Bishop James Long is one of the nicest people you could ever awesome. meet. Very accessible. I, I cannot wait to get into that. Um, but for now, those of you, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Okay, so, Ricky, what's he like? Like I said, he's one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. When I first met him, it was right before he had his lap band surgery. <laughs> but um, one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. He is very, very determined, understands the paranormal better than anybody else I ever experienced. In fact, he taught, he teaches a class where you can earn your bachelor's degree in paranormal science, parapsychology, and demonology. Is that where you got yours? That's where I got my degree. Yeah, that was actually where I uh, I had heard I knew of him before you had ever brought him up to me. I knew of this guy. So uh, when you were talking about that, that that you knew him and that you had met him, I was like, that's so cool because it's that's that's. One of those kind of like movers and shakers in the paranormal that 
that I've that I've heard of. He is, like I said, um, his experience in in doing actual exorcisms is second to none. There's very few any it's very few ministers in today's society that would even address exorcisms because it's like to, even to this day it's still considered um, a taboo to go and touch into. Now, when did you first, like, 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 when did you first, like, reach out to him? When did you first, like, get, get, like,